that change in change in quality it's definitely got to be the mic it's got to be the mic and if you give me a minute i'm going to go and change into my hawaiian shirt given you're wearing that i was trying to one-up you <laughs> you definitely have <laughs> you definitely have i can give you that unfortunately this is the only sort of shirt like this that i own so it's going to be easy to one-up me next week you like me of reversed st- positions yeah and you remind me of steve jobs and his Whoa. not having a lot of options to choose from when it comes to dressing up so he always goes with his turtleneck or t-shirt to avoid the decision fatigue and all that jazz his turtlenecks are my v-neck t-shirts i love v-necks <laughs> they're my favorite too <laughs> v-necks all the way absolutely v-necks all the way absolutely how are you feeling this week you know a lot better than last week yeah <laughs> not much has changed but i don't know i've been having a few conversations that had a couple of takeaways that i've been using to apply to my daily workflow one of them being just getting the biggest tasks on your list out of the way as soon as possible so it doesn't drag you for the entire week so that's something right. i've been practicing to get what's most annoying what what's most annoying out of the way it might even be something that you actually enjoy doing but it's constantly on your mind mm-hmm. and once that's out of the way you feel a lot more creative in a lot of ways and i think that's part of the reason that i feel a lot more relaxed and less stressed in a way are those tasks generally smaller tasks or are they do they do they vary yeah i think they vary they vary they are the ones that take up a lot of creative and mental energy and that's why probably i put them put them aside put them off for a while right and don't really want to sit down and get them done, hmm. mainly work-related. And then once you actually start doing it, you realize, oh, it wasn't that bad. It wasn't as bad as I thought, and I'm glad it's out of the way now, and I can actually yeah. start thinking about the next big thing, or it gives you that much more capacity to think about the other things you want to be doing. But then right. usually I used to do those other things while being worried about this big thing that I kept delaying. So yeah. I just have a couple of specific examples in my mind that it's probably not worth sharing because it's um, very context-based, but yeah. Well, for me, I tend to do the latter still. So I, I think because creative projects take so much mind space that like I have to imagine like a living room floor and there's just a bunch of clutter and then there's just like one big box in the middle. I want to get rid of all the small pieces around the floor to like put more attention into the, to, to the main bulk of, of where my mind needs to, you know, be spent. So like, that's, what's actually easier for me to do than to work on the big box of, of stuff. You know, the thing that's like the creative endeavor, and then worry about all the small stuff surrounding it. Can you can you talk more about that? Can you give an example of the big box item and then the creative project? Yeah, I think for so for instance today I'm I'm working on a I'm working on a new product at 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 HomeSpotter and it kind of revolves around some internal tooling that will help multiple teams do their job better. And it's a complex thing to think about. It's I'm sort of in the wireframing gray boxing stage, but I have to spend a lot of time on it, but there's always all of these little, we have, we have hundreds of customers. And so I always have to create small little assets. It doesn't take a long time, but it's, they're smaller tasks comparatively. Okay. And it's easier for me to just like get those done first, then work on the big project that just requires a lot more time. Cause I, for me, it's kind of like, if I'm working on the big project and then I realize I still have all these smaller tasks to do, it just kind of sits in my mind and it, it distracts me really. Interesting. You are the very opposite of me because 
And then when it comes to, you, you mentioned the sequence of it, you do these smaller ones first. And then mm-hmm. when it comes to your actual day, do you also prioritize it? I'm guessing you just do the smaller ones in the morning and then, yeah. one, yep. hmm, interesting. Don't you find that you have more creative flow in the morning? So as, as you use them for the smaller task or say checking emails, not saying those small tasks are less important, mm-hmm. but I try to avoid checking emails or Slack first thing in the morning, because I feel like if I do, then I spend a, spend a precious hour, actually not spend it, waste a precious hour in the morning. Yeah. I think email is a little different. So I try also not to do the same thing with that, but there's like a, for me, there's sort of like a, a, there's a, there's a momentum that happens throughout the day. There's sort of an energy. And for me to sort of pick up energy, I need to feel productive a little Mm. bit. And so Mm. completing some of those smaller tasks allows me to just have that energy moving into the creative project. And then I realize, like most of my day is, is going to be spent on this other project. And yeah, you know, we all hit our, our walls around 3 PM or so. And, but I I still feel like I'm more productive in, in that time. That's a very good point about momentum. Without me being aware of that momentum, I feel I've been trying to do that as well. Once I get into a flow of doing things that are easier to accomplish, mm-hmm. I have a feeling that I'm, I'm, on a, I'm on the right track to get even bigger things done. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I think we, I don't know, bounce around a lot of these productivity routines quite a bit. So mm. I'll probably flip into yours and you might flip into mine. We'll see. <laughs> <laughs> or we might be even doing it. Like, I feel like what you just described, I kind of do it mm-hmm. without even knowing. Sometimes, yeah, you just, you just want to get something done, get it out of the way. And once you do, you realize, oh, I just checked off this task on my task manager and yeah. onto the next one. So yeah, that momentum yeah. is, I think is a thing. So Reza and I, we never really, like whenever we come into these, we don't really have any topics. We, we actually talked last week a little bit about maybe we should have a more defined topic at the outset to cultivate or think a little bit more thoroughly about. We didn't do that for this week, but I am curious. I just read your first piece that I think I've ever read of yours and on loneliness and solitude. And I'm curious where that came from, if you wouldn't mind sharing and talking a little bit about that. Yeah. First off, thanks for leaving some feedback. I haven't actually, I hit, I hit a roadblock with my laptop today. And later on realized it was an Apple thing. I for some I actually did call Apple and they they didn't know that this is like their thing and they were like trying to get me to fix it. Eventually I had to reinstall my operating system for things to go back to normal. So as I was looking at your feedback, that happened yeah. and I couldn't go back to it after. So by, by the way, for- I love I love how there's something happening sort of in the Twitter sphere and they're just like Hey, just restart your, just reinstall your <laughs> operating system. Like the most time consuming thing, you're just going to completely throw away your day, which is just kind as of a, amazing to me. Exactly. As a bit of a background story. So this, this problem happened that I couldn't open many of the apps or, or most of the apps, or they would take ages to open up. And then I, I thought it might've been because of something I've installed or some, some software problem going on. So I did call them. I was on the phone for one and a half hours. Eventually, the, the last resort was reinstalling. And then because it was going to take half an hour, they actually rescheduled. So they actually gave me another time slot to give me a call back. And then I messaged Nate saying, you might not be able to record this tonight because of my laptop issue. And then he pointed me in the direction of Twitter where there was a big thread of people talking about the same issue and realized, thankfully, it was something to do with Apple. Yeah, it sounded like since Big Sur, the new operating system by Apple was released today, that mm-hmm. everything was just crashing. So I don't know if that played a big role in it, but it seems likely. <laughs> yeah, the the gentleman that was helping me on the phone didn't think that that would be the case, but he also wasn't wow. aware of of the actual of the actual case in the first place. So yeah, he thought it could have some it could have something to do with my my system. Anyhow, we are here and it made me realize how dependent we are on, on these machines. I mean, 24-7, except when we're asleep, 24-7 is not right. Maybe 18-7 is more of a right number of hours in the day that I'm using my laptop. But going back to your question, yeah, it was a very, very rough draft. I, 
it was kind of an idea dump without a lot of connection to the stories. And I wanted to get it out without spending more time on it because yeah. our writing workshop was coming up and I thought I'm submitting it to the writing workshop. I might as well share it with the broader group. So there's a lot more work to be done on that. And yeah, the, the idea of solitude and loneliness, which to me are two different concepts. The reason I wanted to write a piece about that was mainly I just wanted to vent and I was re I'm really frustrated by people around me. Some of them are near and dear to me that they constantly seek external validation or external presence for them to be content and happy hmm. before actually trying to seek that within themselves. And I know it's the obvious answer might be to try to approach someone else for that, like fulfillment or contentment. But then if you spend a little bit of time to try to meditate or read or just spend time on your own, you realize there's actually a deeper meaning within you that you can try to find. But the, it's not very obvious in the first place. That's why a lot of people don't really go on that, go on a quest to, to try to find that. And I've, I've gone through sort of this experience personally and realized, yeah, like I said, there's a, there's a lot more to be, to be discovered internally. And a lot of the times where I'm disappointed by someone or by an external factor, I realize I can find the answers to fulfillment or happiness within me. I don't really need anything outside of me. So right. that's, that's, that, that was something I wanted to kind of get out and uh, sort of put out there. There wasn't anything groundbreaking in it that people wouldn't know. It's just, it was simply a set of reminders that I wanted to, I wanted to put out. And I personally thought it was about 800 words. I thought that was too long for my liking. Mm. Even, I guess it probably takes you like four or five minutes to read. And as I was reading it again, I thought, oh, okay, like there are some things here that I want to clearly talk about. I maybe care 90% about five things and mm -hmm. then 40% about everything else. So why don't I just bring out the, those five things a lot, a lot more clearly and just yeah. try to take out the rest which something i've been pondering do you feel like it doesn't have to be long form it can be medium form articles for your digital garden i presume for my for my digital garden or for my blog in the first place yeah. like a lot of the blogs i read i'm realizing this just this shift in mindset that i think a lot of people prefer essays and longer articles but what is the well, goal of at that? least google does Google does for SEO purposes, <laughs> right? The longer, the better. But what is the purpose of writing in the first place? Is it you want to communicate something you know about to other people to try to influence them in your way, hopefully in a positive way, but in your way, something, or you're sharing a story to maybe entertain them yeah, or teach them something. And if you can do that in a shorter format, you, the, if the goal is getting the message across, Mm -hmm. You're actually doing a better job of doing it in a much shorter format than have like basically making them read 2000 words to get to the point. Yep. No, I that's agree kind of that. my philosophy there. I, th I think that that's should always be the case in writing, right? Like you are always trying to take a, a complex topic, especially like around solitude and loneliness. I think you can say a lot about that and I really enjoyed your piece and I, it's obvious that like you were still kind of working through a lot of these concepts, but it works as a, as a short piece. I don't know how long it needs to be, but I think based on the content that was there, I think it could be a really strong, yeah, five to 600 word article. That's just as good as, you know, a 1200 word article. You said something back about I was kind of curious around like, how did this, how did this come out? It seemed like solitude, like people do confuse these things a little bit. And I think that there's tons of emotional baggage that's sort of built up behind loneliness and maybe you're impacted or something in life happens to you and it creates this loneliness. Do you feel like solitude is the answer? Like how, because it seemed like in the article, you were talking a little bit about loneliness is a way to, I wish I had it in front of me, but you know, you can't really, you can't really like reflect when you're lonely because there's a lot of anger and hurt sort of built up there. 
and you can say this much better than I can, but the idea is that solitude allows you to self-reflect a little bit more, bring peace of mind, bring calmness to the situation. And I'm curious, like, is there, when you were writing that, is there some healing that happens with solitude when you talk about loneliness or do you, was that not really like crossing your mind when you wrote that? Yeah, I think you put it really well. To me, solitude is more of an intentional approach. It's more of a choice that you make. Whereas loneliness, it's something that happens to you without you actually intentionally desiring it. So in that, in that sense, if solitude is something that you choose, then I argue that everyone should choose it because it's something that like meditation or working out is actually essential to your well-being. Mm -hmm. So constantly, regardless of whether you're an introvert or an extrovert, constantly being around people doesn't allow you to process the 6,000 thoughts that you have every day. Mm -hmm. And in order to grow as an individual, you actually need to be able to process th those thoughts because they are the one, th these are the thoughts that help you understand how you think about the world or how you want to be thinking about them. And being around the people, if you and I talked all day, we wouldn't be able to really process our thoughts. We might be able mm -hmm. to do that through the conversations, but because you and I are talking, we are actually influencing each other. We are yeah. not able to look at that, look at our thoughts in isolation. So imagine we kind of expand this you and I's conversations to a group of 10 people in a social setting. It makes it even more difficult to do that because you're, mm -hmm. you're constantly being commented on by other people when you make a point and those comments influence how you think about certain things. Right. So I go back to the point that being able to do that analysis and that reflection on, on your own, to me, it's been a lot more valuable than yeah, absolutely. spending spending a lot more time with with people. And not to say that I don't really appreciate people's people's sort of analysis and comments, but it's more so that I think your your opinion on things should also have a have a place in in how you look at things. I think some of my most favorite times in life were when I when I was in solitude. I think I spent a month in San Francisco at one point before we lived there uh, by myself and read most of the time, to be honest, I'm actually planning a trip, most likely a long weekend before we, you know, have a daughter and I'm, I'm looking for solitude as a way to sort of transition my mindset into being a father, <laughs> you know, like that's such a weird thing for me. And I, maybe I'm like, completely blowing this thing out of proportion. But to me, it feels like I need to get away and just kind of like reset my mindset as I'm now a dad. And this is sort of my identity in the moment. Like this is what I need to really focus on. So I'm in the moment, like I'm in the midst of planning a trip to, to do that. So we'll see how that goes. <laughs> and why do you think that time alone would prepare you for what's to come? I don't know. I think I want to surround myself. This is, this, I don't know if anything is actually going to change, but I do mm. think that being alone, being able to journal and being able to read some books and sort of just make this shift and really just kind of, I don't know. I think it's, I think it's different for me right now. Like Allie is dealing with the pregnancy. It's physically changing her body. And I'm mm. sort of having to deal with the effects of that in like a positive way, but like I'm doing reading, it's not really affecting me physically right now. And so I think I, I almost want to understand that change that's going to happen, you know, mentally, you know, in my psyche, just how to, I almost want to prepare for that a little bit, or I don't, I don't know. I don't know if it's actually going to do anything, but it sounds fun. <laughs> <laughs> so you want to basically mentally get to that place before it actually happens through reading, through journaling, through maybe listening to other people's experiences. I think, you know, I've been subscribed to a number of newsletters lately. Ryan Holiday has one called The Daily Dad. And I've been reading that. Just It's just, it's almost like his daily stoic newsletter, but small things that encourage you to be a, a better father, uh, a more present person. And I, f I feel so busy right now that I think just slowing down and allowing myself to think about this stuff is going to help me just knowing how I work, you know, I need sort of like a little bit of like a break to, to kind of refocus. So
I was listening to your recently published podcast with Andrew Berry. Mm. But there was a part about your upbringing and yeah. how you almost without your father intending, you were kind of influenced by his creativity or the, the, his approach to, to creating. Mm-hmm. So, so I guess my question is, are you gonna, are you gonna follow the same approach when it comes to raising your daughter, when it comes to almost leading by example or kind of intentionally putting her in the, in the right direction, the, the right direction being how you want her to grow up? Yeah, I think that's definitely something we chatted about for a little bit during the podcast. I think for me, it's, I want to do a better job of being a, a teacher and I, and I like, a, a, my dad was very supportive of everything that I did. And like you said, he kind of led by example, he was sort of doing his thing and I would participate, but it wasn't necessarily like he was teaching me how to draw or how to paint or anything like that. And I think for me, I'm, I want to participate a little bit more that, that feels nothing against my parents. I just feel that that's not enough. Like I want to be able to, to enjoy and still support and push them in different creative ways. But I, I also want to, you know, spend time with them and share some knowledge. You know, I think that that's truly important. It's something I care about at least. I was browsing your newsletter from last week and there was something that really resonated with me. And it was one of the things I don't really actively think about, but as I read it, I'm like, ah, this is, this really resonates. And it was around, you don't really need to necessarily comment or have an opinion, opinion about things that you don't know much about or understand. And this is something I think I constantly deal with on a daily basis in conversations. And something I've, I've, I've tried to get better at when, I, when there is not much for me to, to add or uh, contribute to. Just try to be quiet and learn from the conversation. Interesting. I, what, is, what, what are you feeling when you feel like you have to give an answer? Or what sort of emotion are, do, you, do you have in that moment? <laughs> a lot of emotions, but usually just like, a, just like a necessity to want to contribute to the conversation and not feel like an outsider and be seen yeah. as an expert in, in depending on the situation where, where I don't know anything and I need to be looked at as that someone who knows something. But yeah, I think- the And you're describing approach. almost everyone. Like we are all <laughs> guilty of wanting to hear our own voice and be able to, to, to contribute, right? I think in that piece, I, I think if I remember what you're talking about, it's something, it's about- not making a choice is still making a choice. Is mm-hmm. that kind of where you're going? That was yeah. it. Yeah. And what was funny about that is I had in the previous newsletter talked a lot about Kanye and his interview with Joe Rogan and kind of how impressed I was about it. And then a friend of mine like called me out on Twitter when Kanye had reportedly like voted only for himself and voted for nobody else. And it just kind of struck me like, okay, this guy to me is kind of a genius, but not choosing is still choosing. You're still making a statement and you're still, you know, making a decision just based on nothing. And so I, I don't know that that stood out to me quite a bit. And so to your point about conversations, I actually think it's the same thing, but I think there's a positive effect to it. So not saying anything in a moment means that you're listening or it appears that you're listening. And so that is a a contribution to a conversation because you're actually making the other people feel heard. And that is helping dramatically, probably more than you speaking up if you have, you know, nothing to contribute necessarily. Or if you are a very active listener where you can, by asking the right questions or by yeah, by contributing to the conversation in the right way, guiding that existing sort of line of thought, you're helping them come up with new ideas and new right. ways of describing things. 
Yeah, I think we we talked a little bit about about this before the idea of active listening and kind of just supporting the people that you're talking to, giving them a chance to be heard, which is allowing you to say something when it's time, you know. This keeps coming up and I know, it's such it a practical thing as well that in my other conversations with people and recorded or not, I've been practicing as well. This is a very good communication practice. I have a, I have an, a conversation set up for this weekend just to do that, which <laughs> sounds like crazy, but to like do a Q and a with, with just a friend and use it as a way to actively, actively listen and just continue to ask them sort of like the five W's, you know, what, who, when, where, why, and how, and really just create a conversation that has momentum and energy, but truly through you being insightful and curious about what the other person's mm. saying. Yeah. Which I guess is Actually, what it's like to be a podcast host. So you're probably used to that a little bit now. There's a lot of learning. I mean, it's not uh, published yet, but there is, it's such an interesting process. It's, I mean, I mean, on deck has created a podcast fellowship and I think it's, it could be something that could be taught and you could get a degree on it if you, if you really want to, if they decide to make it, make it a higher education kind of qualification. But uh, yeah, there's a lot goes into the research, understanding the person you're talking to. It's not so much just for podcasting for like interviewing in general is such an art to be a good interviewer. Yeah. And I've no, I've, I've felt that previously in, in career, in my career, in, in, at my job where I had to interview people to, to bring them to my team. And that was for sure kind of a similar process, but it was more standard in a way that you knew these were the questions you need to ask for to, to check sort of the culture fit. These are the questions related to more, more of the uh, skill set. Whereas with podcasts, I think I still have some standard questions that I'm curious about every single individual that yeah. I ask, but there are some more customized questions too that I try to do as, as well as I can for, for, the, for the person to bring out the qualities that would be interesting to learn about, about, about them. So can you give us an update on where you're at with that? So oh, you, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm close to like seven or eight episodes now. Wow. And yeah, I think I'm just, it's mainly the, like I think I mentioned last week as well, it's mainly the logistics. I just noticed Andrew released the trailer for, it, for his podcast too, which actually inspired me to want to do the same thing. So I might even get that out as early as early next week and then follow that with a couple of episodes, like I said, two or three episodes for the, for the start. And yeah, it's, picking the soundtrack and kind of do the editing and all of that that's going to going to take a bunch of time i'm probably going to get get some help on the side because uh, yeah work is it's busy a lot to and do. it's a lot to do work is busy there is the on the writer fellowship that i'm still doing and i still want to write more and do the newsletter so yeah but i'm excited i'm excited to launch that it's it should be good and honestly i think that oh go ahead I was just going to say already, even with the, even before publishing it, just listening back to it and kind of doing some small editing on my end. I'm like, this is, this is even if no one finds it valuable, I'm so glad that I did this. It's something for me to look back in a year time, two years time and say like, oh, wow, this is, this is just really incredible. It's not that the conversations are like out of this world or extraordinary. It's just that we are putting it out there and sharing it with everyone publicly. It's brilliant. I think those trailers that you were talking about, Andrew Barry is having Paul LaCrone do his editing and do his trailer, mm -hmm. uh, you know, editing. And I, I mean, I thought it was better than the interview, honestly, like it was really compelling. I thought there was just a ton of energy and movement in the 30 second clip that he created. So your, your um, words were quite powerful too, and contributed a lot to that trailer, I would say. So I appreciate give that. yourself some credit <laughs> <laughs> still like there's just so much magic in editing. That's just, it's brilliant. I, I uh, discovered something today as I was reading your newsletter. And I saw, I was looking at Sal Manzi's newsletter as well. It, it took me back to your YouTube channel that has close to 300 subscribers. And I'm like, ah, is Nate a YouTuber? I had no idea. And then I landed on 2016 videos in Paris and they're so well done. Yeah. What happened to that? Would you still be doing it if you were traveling? 
That's super funny. Yeah. Okay. So I was sort of like a amateur vlogger for a spell and it was around 2016. It wasn't necessarily because we were traveling a lot. So it wasn't really based around that. It was actually the concept was sort of based around living small in California and you know, how can you live a fulfilling life while just like we were living in a studio apartment? And I think, you know, my story, I've moved nine times in nine years now. And so moving a lot and just trying to find like the best out of the cities that I live in. And so the, the channel was really kind of meant to, it ended up being a, a very like personal vlog type of thing. And I sort of ran out of content to, I just couldn't talk about myself anymore. I got so bored of it, but there were a couple of videos that did really well. And so we, you know, did it long enough to get a few hundred subscribers, which is, which is super fun, which is strange now. Cause when I do make videos, like I'm doing some stuff for the speaking class I'm in and, and anything else, like they get posted to my channel and there's obviously 300 subscribers there and a bunch of old videos, which is a little strange, but it was fun. You know, I think, I think I, you know, I, we did a lot in San Francisco and it was to your point about doing podcasting and looking back a couple of years from now, the videos that I did then, I, like, I'm so grateful for those because I proposed to Allie during that year. And so I did a video, a few videos of being in Italy. And one of those videos is like me making a ring and bringing it out and, and filming the whole thing. And to have that video for the rest of my life is an incredible feeling. I think, I think, you know, in the podcast, I talked a lot about like trying a lot of new creative mediums and just sort of exploring. And I think the, the vlogging is sort of just a, you know, a good example of trying to do video a little bit and just getting familiar with editing because it really applies to anything you want to do later in life that you might take serious. Right. So if I do want to make videos or do something more with that. Like I have those skills that I can lean on and, you know, editing is like no big deal to me anymore. So I find it kind of fun to just play around and experiment. And on that note, something that's come up a couple of times this week through my uh, reading and sessions I've attended, and I want to get your take on this as well, is around the concept of there's content quality, obviously, that you want it to be as high as possible, but there's also Mm -hmm. content uh, quantity. Yeah. So the volume of content over time. So I attended the first half of the talk by Justin Murphy earlier yes. this week. Yeah. And I didn't know him before, before this talk, but he talked about the concept that if you record a podcast and you do it for 100 episodes, mm-hmm. the quality should be okay. It can't be really bad. But if you do an okay job of creating good quality content and you do it 100 times in a row, on a regular basis, you are already within the top 1% of people. There are not a lot of people who've done it consistently for a hundred times. If you do it a thousand times, thousand episodes, that's even better. You're probably like in the top 0.5%, if not, if not higher. And then I, I just came across, I was reading Check Your Pulse by Sari Azot. I think it's how, how you say his, her uh, last name. Sari Azot or something. Azot, yeah. Thank you. And she said something along the lines of how by, by showing up every day, you're able, to, you're, you're, you're able to learn so much about a topic or about a concept. So I kind of apply that to the content creation side of things as well, is that you might not have the perfect thing to say or have the perfect topic to cover in your newsletter or your vlog, but by just doing it on a regular basis, I think you... you by creating that habit, you are able to kind of sustain and eventually get really good at it. So Justin Murphy, the premise of this talk was about how to build an audience. And I think you're right. And I think this conversation comes up a lot where we are, we feel creating great quality content is sort of an obstacle for us because we don't want to put out shit. We want to like put out something of high quality, but that tends to, especially early on, I think what his point was, is that that can weigh you down quite a bit. And just going through the reps and getting to a hundred is it's going to improve your quality just because you're putting in the reps and it's okay. If your quality suffers a little bit, because it's more important to build that routine and that sort of chamber of, of content 
because very few people do. And his talk was brilliant. You know, he talked a lot about, you know, fear and love and honesty and prestige and really having a, you know, a good understanding of what levers to pull when you're trying to build an audience. And so, yeah, I think, I think that, you know, when you talk to me a little bit about like, we've talked a lot about like personal monopoly and like, what are our niches? And I've always kind of come back to you and said, I just, I, I don't know yet, you know, or I'm not sure. And I just need to experiment and play. And even my last, you know, article I wrote was just a creative fun story about me sweating it out as a, as a kid and, and learning design. And I think that was so nicely written, by the way, it, the storytelling there was really amazing. Oh, thanks. I mean, most of it was because of the feedback I got. So I hope your feelings aren't too hurt when you read my feedback, because <laughs> I think it's so great to be like really critical because it just completely affects a piece. Absolutely. But just the fact that I published it is enough for me in a way, you know, I think it's just another thing, another article that I've, I've put out there and it's, I'll just move on to the next, you know, and, and we'll figure out where to go from there. I think this principle can be applied to business as well, or as a, as an entrepreneur, if you have 10 failures and the 11th attempt is a success, people just tend to remember the, the one big company that you've made. And it's only through those reps that you're able to get to number 11. It's unlikely that your first company is going to make it really big. I mean, it might in a lot of situations it will, or you might not get a lot of subscribers for your first newsletter. And I know a lot of newsletters writers who are now monetizing theirs and they're actually, they are, that's the only thing they're doing. They don't have any jobs or anything. Yeah. And it's not, the, it's not their first product. It's not their first piece of writing. Something I'm constantly struggling with as well, wanting everything to be perfect, as, as perfect as, as it can be. Yeah. But then realizing everything is relative. So you, you need to have, kind of good and best the same way you need to have bad and worse. So you can't, it can't all be the same. Do you know what I mean? I think so. So for, you can't have, for for me to call one of your articles, a great article, there needs to be an okay article too. And there needs to be a bad article for that great, great article to exist. Absolutely. I, I think you're spot on. And you know, there's a, anecdote I heard about a company who is looking to hire, you know, someone in a, in a job that I can't remember, it wasn't like a CEO position, but it was just like a product manager position. And, and they were talking about how it should be okay for you to put your fail failures in your resume or publicly like put it out there because this company was saying that I'd rather hire it, you know someone who's failed 10 times because I know they've tried 10 times than someone who succeeded once. And the idea of just continuously trying is such a like quality character trait that I think can apply to writing or anything else, like whatever creative endeavor you're, you're kind of mixed up in. I think just doing the reps, man, I mean, that's, that's, what, that's what counts in my mind. And also, it's such a good trait to stand up again after you fail. That is a tough thing to do. And once you do something for a long time and you think it's going to succeed and it doesn't, the, having the grit to get back up again and start doing something new, having learned from that experience, it's not an easy thing to do. Right. So that, that in itself is a good trait to have. So that's probably why a lot of companies are looking for that. Yeah. I've failed at least a dozen times. <laughs> Not even going to count. Uh, we, don't, we don't need to count. <laughs> you and I were uh, briefly talking about having a personal budget and sort of personal finances last week. Hmm. It's not something I know much about. I've kind of learned about budgeting and trying to implement it in my life gradually, but it's not something I've like, sat down and learned about and tried to like learn about investing or how to how to spend more wisely you sound like you know a lot about the topic at least more than i do so i'm curious how has that changed over time for you and uh what are some of the good practices that you put that you've put in place for yourself 
Yeah. When I sold my condo, there was a moment where, and, and just to be clear, like I didn't make, you know, necessarily any money off of it, but I realized that the money that I was putting towards my mortgage had to go somewhere. And what could I do differently with that money? If I wasn't putting it into real estate, like how could I think about like, what would be the smart thing to do? And so I just started reading a ton of books. Because to get the highest return. Yeah. And just to think about like, you know, obviously you don't want money sitting in a checking account and I shouldn't say obvious, but because it is a common thing, but typically your, you know, checking account or savings account is going to get you like maybe less than one and a half percent. And if that, and so the idea is that you're actually losing money because that's lower than inflation. And so what can you do differently with your money, putting it into a, you know, a brokerage or some, some sort of like IRA or, you know, 401k Roth, you know, IRA or, you know, an index fund, which is what I would generally recommend just because uh, Vanguard is, is great for this kind of stuff. Cause their fees are so low that you're really not paying any sort of administration fees for the most part. And so John Bogle is the founder of Vanguard and he's the founder of the first index fund. And what he kind of created was a, is a, was a cheap and affordable way that where they weren't taking a large cut of your, of your maintenance fees and allowed you to, to reap the, the benefits of compound interest. And so I think compounding is sort of like the, the, the basic fundamental premise on, on which putting money away in something is going to reap you returns. So I think the, the equation is something like every seven years, your money should double based on an eight, six to 8% uh, return rate. And so putting your money away outside of a checking account, putting it into an index fund or something like that is the best way to save money for the long term. Now there's like a ton of nuance in there. Like if you want to invest in yourself, you might want to have enough cash to invest in yourself because you don't want to always save for retirement. That's just such a long time away. But mm-hmm. so there's, there's a ton of nuance there, but I think to your point about just managing money. So there's that, which, which I have, but then YNAB is kind of what maybe I think started this conversation about software that allows you to have a, you know, give you a, like a close eye on where your money is going. And so, yeah, I, I, you know, I'm not sure if you had specific questions about that, but YNAB is what we use and we use it pretty much every week. Has it, has it opened your eyes to some trends that you weren't previously aware of? So my parents never talked about money. They actually both spent money on their own and they never, you know, shared. And so what it caused was a ton of debt. So my, I, I don't want to like get into specifics, but like there was a lot of debt incurred by both people and they didn't know how much debt there was. And so they just kind of ran into a lot of problems when it came time to pay bills. And so I think at least for Allie and I, it was important that we both had like a clear sense of where we were financially and we shared our checking accounts. You know, we live in a, a city that the cost of living is more. So it's not like we have as much, as much, you know, flexibility in terms of like what we can spend where we wouldn't have to look at this. But I think YNAM kind of gives us a good picture into how we're spending our money. And the whole premise of YNAB is for every dollar that you have, you need to give it a job. And so even future money that comes in, if you have a job for it to do, then you know exactly like what it's going to do. And so you know how much you should be spending based on all of your money already having a job. I mean, if it basically looks at like your incoming money that you have, or actually it doesn't even look at that. It just looks at the money you have right now, give everything a job. So you know exactly where you are. And then you can start to kind of adjust the levers a little bit you know, maybe you should pay off the credit cards that you have with high interest rates first. And that money has a job to do there. So you can't spend that twice. You just need to be a little bit more careful. And YNAB is just such a, it's friendly software. Like they have such a great, strong community around this. The software is designed really, really nicely. It's fairly affordable and it connects to your bank accounts like everything else should. So it's pretty, pretty slick. Can you specify how much they paid us to sponsor this episode? I hope, I hope I can get you. 
free five year at least. Didn't they say you have to bring it up at the beginning of the episode, and now you're bringing you're, up right, right? Yeah, at the end. when everybody's bored, and now <laughs> prime drop, the, drop, drop the bomb. You know what's funny is I came across an article that Tiago wrote about Wineab, which was completely bizarre because I thought maybe I was the only one who actually used it. <laughs> I I learned about Wineab when I was in during my UK days. It goes back to what like eight years ago, maybe longer than that. And at the time, I was so frustrated that it wasn't offered in the UK. A lot of the products that were built in the US, especially the ones related to financial institutions, they were yeah. all only available in the in the UK. US. The other one was Mint that I really mm. wanted to get my hands on. And then when I moved to Canada, it was available in Canada. Then I started using it. And I think it, I'm, I'm sure it's a great product, but I couldn't get into the habit of constantly using it. I connected all my bank accounts, credit cards, and it was kind of doing the same thing, allowing you to understand where everything is going, how much it was kind of like your balance sheet, yeah. uh, giving you your equity and liabilities and all of that. But yeah, Vinab, I've been, I've been hearing about for quite, quite some time. Yeah, it's clever. I, I'm not going to say anything else about it until I get something for it. Let me let me read my script now on the product. Yeah, right. <laughs> I wanted to ask you one last question before we wrap up. If you were to summarize what you've learned in your public speaking course that you've been doing with Robbie and and, and everyone else, because it's it's a very interesting topic to me and it's something I want to invest more in, especially as I yeah. these podcasts more often. What how would you summarize the learning so far? So, and he's not sponsoring this either. So is he not? I thought he's need, paying we us. We need to figure this out. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think, yeah, right. Uh, so far it's been really about storytelling and under, and like learning how to, this kind of all goes back to active listening too, because he talks mm. a lot about that, but being able to draw your own personal examples and your story. So everybody has a story. It's everybody has something interesting to say. And I think finding a way to structure how you're saying it really matters. And yes, so it does. finding your hook, finding your theme that you want someone okay. to take away and then closing out. And I think what a lot of people get wrong is, and it's not the ums or the likes that I, I have a problem with, but it's, it's talking too long. It's hmm. not succinctly breaking down a story and really like writing, leaving out all the extra shit that you don't need to talk about. And people don't know when to stop. And that's a really hard thing for many people to do. So being concise is really something that I've been taking away from that recently. People don't know when to stop. I probably learned that too late in my career <laughs> in <have>. general. <laughs> yeah. Just in like in your Me daily both. daily work as well. As you write an email to a colleague, right? Think back to like 2012. I'm like, what was I thinking? Just putting all of these like extra fluff in there. I could have just like written it in a single line. But a lot line. of this is just rooted in insecurity, right? So you just keep talking because you think you need to, and you need to be heard. Kind of going to our point earlier, just having to say something. Yeah. And when when you have everybody looking at you, there's that pressure of, oh, I should just keep going. When mm -hmm. in actuality if you stop beforehand and you really like you succinctly tell a story that's more captivating and they have more respect for you essentially, like, because you're not tiring them out, you know, it's actually enjoyable to listen to you. And so that's the feeling that you want to walk away. There's a, I think, do we talk about this, a Seinfeld episode where. I don't think there's so. A, there's, uh, a, I, no. there's a Seinfeld episode with George Costanza and he, Every time he tells a funny joke in, in a meeting setting and everybody laughs, like he's like, I'm out. And he leaves the room because <laughs> he wants to leave on the high note. But that's actually such yeah. a true thing to kind of understand is in life being short. And yeah, exactly. George Costanza is teaching us about life, but being able to recognize, you know, and self-aware, like, are you boring people? Like you should you know, probably stop. And so there's that recognition there. Uh, all the dots are getting connected now because uh, uh, now you made me think of what I was saying about bad, good, and great. And how sometimes in some situations when I'm having the best time in a social setting, just because I wrote an article about solitude doesn't mean I hang out with people or I'm <laughs> having the out. best conversation. And I'm like, I just want to finish it now because I want it to finish on a high note because 
it can get any better than this. Yeah. And yep. it's, it's so interesting. That's why one of the tips they give you for giving presentation is kind of ending with a question end in a way that's memorable. Not, not so much with just thanks for listening. Yeah. Any questions, but more so ask an intriguing question that if someone asks you, what was that presentation about? At least you remember that question and through that question, it triggers the rest of the presentation for you. It's super fascinating. I think just, just knowing, just knowing that is powerful, but also going back to the idea of just we, we have something interesting to say. How can we connect that to the topic matter that we're talking about? Because that makes it personal at that point. And then it's actually easier for you to present in front of people when you make it personal because it's a story that you've mm. rehearsed prior to all of this. Yep. And that's where my article came from was a conversation I had with Andrew, who I did the podcast with. And then through this speaking course, I sort of wanted to chase this personal story that I had growing up that I thought was just super funny. And I've told it a bunch of times to people, you know, over a campfire or something. And it's just fucking hilarious. And I was laughing while I was writing it. And I just felt like I had to chase that for a little bit. So that's amazing. We have to link link to that in the notes. But here, here goes episode number six, right? Six, yeah, I, I almost I mistakenly so. said, four for our last episode in my newsletter as I was sending it out and then realized, wow, it's been over a month since we've been doing this. This is, this is really great. There's actually a lot of stuff that I think Justin Murphy talked about that we need to dig back into next time. We should. Yeah. And yeah, let us know. I, I'm By the way, to wrap this up, I'm so grateful for the couple of people who've reached out to me. I'm sure you talked to with mm-hmm. some of your close friends as well. Yeah. And give give me such detailed feedback on on the couple of on the five or six episodes that we've done so far, super grateful for them. And please let I, us I, know. I would just like to say I am not grateful for my friends who just say it's good, and it's. <laughs> I'm speaking to you, Bill, but <laughs> I need some more critical feedback, like Reza's friends. Yeah, they're they're being as critical as you can imagine. <laughs> and on that note, to Bill and the rest of our friends. Let us know if you want us to cover like a single topic or just jump between different topics and kind of cover them at 80% level or to our knowledge of how much we know about them. But if you think maybe covering personal finances or even digging deeper into a specific book would be more valuable, we'd love to do that. The whole goal is to provide value and for us to just think more clearly about different concepts. Love it. We'll see you all next week. Yeah, we'll catch you all next week.